Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So I worked it out that when I do my walking route, I walk four miles a day. Where do you go from? You go a mile, a mile from home up to the tube, yeah. and then I come to Highbury and Island to walk down Upper Street, which is a mile, and, uh, and then do the same thing on the way back. So that's what it works out at. Only I go back, go back home last night, that route, and Arsenal at home, so I'm in a bad mood. I was there. Oh, okay. You were there, I was there. I rang a mate of mine, Nick, and he was, he was there, too. Eduardo. And did they won, presumably. 4 nil. Oh, my God, what a good night to be there. But it was like the old days. Oh, my like, God. Oh, oh, Arsenal nostalgia. I love that. Like the old the days. Like we haven't won since. No, we can walk it down the hill, and the Cardiff fans have obviously just come out of Arsenal tube, but 6,000 of them. Police horses leading the way, just marching up the hill to the ground. Quite terrifying. So was the Welsh, isn't it? I love a police There's horse. Thousands of them. <laughs> I love that. So are we recording, Fraser? Yeah. We're on the air. Uh, we're on the air. So can I mention your book? My book. My now, whenever I suggest anything to Mark, he now he, he says it's now it's mine. It's my book. My book. It's my it is book. his book. My Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> my Buzz Lightyear. That's right. Dave recommended this book to me. I recommended it to you before I'd read it, which it's, is odd. Have you read it yet? I've, yeah, I read it. What's yeah. the book, Mark? It's called What Sport Tells Us About Life by Ed Smith. And I'm interviewing him next week, uh, former Middlesex cricket captain. Here's, look, here's just one really interesting thing. I just read 30 pages coming on the train. It's so interesting. Here's, here's his point. Racehorses okay. do not develop... They cannot be evolved, he believes, in fact, it's statistically proven, to run any faster than they do. Because in order to breed the right... Genetic characteristic for speed, you have to have ultra light bones. So they just fall down. If they so went any faster, they'd fall they just over. crumble like they were made so of papier mache. They can't improve their speed. No, they don't think they can because he traces it during the first 1986. Part of the century. This is from, from 1850 to 1930. The winning times for the Derby dropped from 255 to 239. But then the horses simply stopped getting faster. From 86 to 96, the average time stayed at 2 minutes 39. But there's a really interesting thing about um, Bannister. Now, I remember Bannister running there. Well, I don't remember because obviously it wasn't Matthew born. Matthew Bannister. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew Bannister. <laughs> I remember <when> Matthew. <laughs> Frederick Bannister, the Ma- Matthew Bannister. Matthew beat, beat, beat Trevor <laughs> Dan in the sack race. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Spoon. We carried him shoulder Actually, it, high. it was a three-legged race, actually. They were tied together, which made life very difficult for both of them. Hilarious, ironic point. No, um, he ran the, the uh, broke the four-minute mile, um, you know, in, in a little uh, a patch of ground just around the corner from where I was at college. And in fact, became the the, 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 the president We're of, my, college. of my college. Yeah, <laughs> and his daughter is Erin Bannister's great friend of my wife's. But anyway, when he broke when he broke the um, the record, it had been announced beforehand that it wasn't possible. No man could run. They thought well, he for died. some Italian guy, yeah. I can't find the page number, but some Italian guy had worked out that <laughs> the fastest anyone could ride was four point oh two three minutes, but they couldn't run four minutes. Because if they did, they would die. <laughs> yeah. That's the point. If it eventually did, they would die. So not only does Bannister run the mile in just under four minutes and not die. The other great detail this guy puts in is he goes to work the next day. Yeah, yeah. Because he's got a job. He's not a, he's not a professional athlete. You know, he's got a job. So the next thing he goes, they're a bit stiff. Yeah, but he's, there, <laughs> he's, there, he's there at the kettle, you know, at nine o'clock. <laughs> what, you, what, did you yesterday? Said, what did you do yesterday? What did you do? I ran a mile under four minutes. Still alive, you know. Anyway, have you got the paperwork, Doris? You know, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. This book is Good. Dave, you're going to interview this guy. I'm interviewing him next Dave week and looking forward to it. Look out uh, for that. Very much. Uh, so yeah. this is the Word Podcast. We cover athletics. We cover the weather. Absolutely everything. I'm delighted to say this week we have as our special guest, Barry McElhenney. Barry McElhenney. Morning. Morning, viewers. Barry, apart from the Steve fact... Steve Wright show. Yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to clap. Zoo Radio. The zoo Radio. We love having Barry here because apart from the fact that it's always nice to see him, he's the only person who ever the day before sends me an email saying, and here's some things we can ah, talk about. Yes. Just a little bit of homework. Some homework. But before, homework last night. But before we get Barry to Barry is our new TV columnist. He does. Oh, can I just plug that? Yeah. A, a column called in. Nurse the Screens. There were quite a lot of argument about that. And obviously, the majority of the word office, uh, in fact, all of them, I think it's a really bad uh, title for a like column. It. And they think it should be called The Smaller Picture. Or something was it? Small picture. Small picture. Potato. Yeah, but see, I try to point out that the smaller picture, not funny. Nurse the screens, hilarious. It's that difference. Isn't it? One's funny. That the columnist may be humorous. Yeah, he may be humorous. <laughs> we'll Nurse work on the screens. Now you want to read it. Your first column, actually, Barry, which is in the current issue with John Martin on the cover. You actually write about the fact that you 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 watch television on everything apart from a television. Yeah, I've just realised this over the last few months. I am watching TV on my own. Yes. Um, Either on a laptop, on an iPod, on an iPhone, or occasionally I'll get the box set out uh, and might watch that on the TV. But the big old TV screen downstairs is pretty much redundant. Gathering dust. Well, it's the thing that the kids watch, isn't it? The big old TV screen downstairs. Yeah, we might occasionally watch something together, like live sport, live news, but that's about it. So I don't really watch any TV other than live sport or live news on a TV at the time it's broadcast. Now, this is going to have uh, far-reaching implications for the cohesion of the family, isn't it, in future? Because this is, we've covered this before in, in the podcast, you know, the only way you can watch a thing like The Wire or Generation Kill or anything like that is, is go on your own, really. You know yeah. what I mean? You watch it on your own. Because you can't organise wife and family or whatever to watch the same thing, can you? I've just done all 86 episodes of The Sopranos. <laughs> I did that all over. The entire box set. You're w- kidding. Yeah, gun to tape, A to Z. <laughs> Soup to nuts. Soup to nuts. <laughs> what, what did one go? Just a big, big load of biscuits and some tea bags? No, it, it, no, took, no, it, it took about <laughs> six weeks over Christmas and New oh, Year. And just the idea of trying to coordinate that with anybody else in the family is impossible. Can't be done. Because you're going to be on episode 17 when she's yeah. still on four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, who's that? What is, it, is that his brother? Yeah. <laughs> no! <laughs> Tony Soprano. But surely you, you can't see any members of your family just building. No, you well, 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 it's obviously. No, you've got to, you've got to just obviously the ideal yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. What's happening with technology is people are opening up previously unaccessed 
parts of the day. You know, I increasingly see people on the tube watching um, watching TV. Yeah. Or, you know, on, a, yeah, on an yeah. iPod or iTouch. Well, it's sort of all become and the first thing in the morning is, yeah. is the other the other thing. Make a cup of tea while the kettle's boiling. Yeah. You're watching The Soprano. Well, I interviewed Kiefer Sutherland for the current issue of Word, so I had to go out and get a load of 24s. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just can't really say, okay, let's all sit down and watch episode one of 24. So I'm two series into that. Done all of the Sopranos. West Wing just nestling in the pipe. That's a big one. Ready to come next. Generation Kill, struggling with a little bit. It's not as easy. It's not quite the one. I, I have this fantasy that I'm going to rent. This is going to sound terribly self-interested, because it is. I'm going to rent a little cottage. I'm going to go there for maybe three or four days in the summer, because with all the television programs that I've never watched, <laughs> and just watch them. Because I find that really difficult to do, because there's always somebody in the house that we don't want to... We've only, we haven't got enough tellies, that's the truth. Just really you watch the computer, Mark. Well, I suppose I do sometimes, yeah. And the trouble is, I find that watching things on a laptop with, 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 with earphones in makes even really bad films seem absolutely fabulous. Well, that's good. Is that good, do you think? I don't know. I, 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 Have I you watched like... anything on your phone yet? No, I can, my phone doesn't accept <laughs> films, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look at the it's, it's got the numbers on it. It's got the old dials. I can talk to a fiddly phone. It's made of bakelite. So now, now Mark is at the very other end of the spectrum at the moment because his family have left him. This they've had enough of him, yeah, and they've just there's gone. a surprise. Okay, just gone. Either actually, he's too quiet temporarily. And so Mark is enjoying that most enviable state of the married man's life, which is. To be on his own for a couple of days. I was telling somebody Dave said to me once, she was genuinely funny. And I really do hate saying this in front of Dave because it was so funny. I usually go to say nice things behind his back, you know. But anyway, I, 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 my wife goes, you know, quite regularly, she goes to see her old Ma who lives in the Channel Islands. That's what know. she says. So, that's what she says. <laughs> actually, actually, I think old Ma passed away. <laughs> I'm slightly worried. No, but anyway, so, so I'm left alone as the kids have grown up and gone, as you know. So it's just me in the house, right, and the cat. And uh, Dave, Dave said to me, and I said, well, Claire's away. I said, yeah. It's what he likes. It's ridiculous, Dave. I mean, I, I, I'm embarrassed, really, with socks all over the stairs and, you know, a lot of washing up has been done. Takeaways. I'm, I'm takeaways, you know, huge cigars stubbed out <laughs> you know, just in all containers, <laughs> like the good life, you know. And I said, no, but, but what I tend to do is I tend to do just everything at once, you know, because, and, and no disrespect to my wife, who I absolutely adore, but you, when you have to explain what you're doing, yeah. you know, what I tend to do is, Every, all the time I play the guitar. So I go out the morning, I play the guitar. If I'm watching the television, I play the guitar. If I'm cooking, I play the guitar. Because, I, I mean, she, quite rightly, she, she always gets a bit annoyed if I'm playing the guitar. And if you play my guitar playing, you'll be totally surprised. So, so, anyway, so what you're doing is, you tend to watch, you're just doing everything once. Eating a piece yeah. of toast, you're watching um, a fantastic old documentary. Reading. You've also got a vinyl record player, yeah. I have my arm, with an old Fleetwood Mac blues album playing very loudly. You're reading a magazine and a book, texting. and playing the guitar, texting, and you've got a phone, mobile, by exactly. So you're not really getting anything done, but you're just doing everything oh, that's great. But anyway, what I was going to say about Dave, I said, said, Dave, is that what it's like? I explained exactly what I just explained to you. He said, oh, that sounds fantastic. I said, Dave, why don't you come and stay? He said, I can't do that. I said, why not? I said, well, you'll be there. <laughs> Which is so good. Good point, well, like, You've got to be on your own. Right, but I think what Mark has described is something that, that a lot of men listening to this would recognise. Oh, you know, because, you know, the, 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 it actually ought to be incorporated, incorporated in the marriage ceremony that one of the things you take on by being married, is you have to, in the nicest possible way, explain what you're doing and what you're about to do yeah. at, any, at any time you're together. <laughs> yes? What are you going to do now? I thought I might watch so-and-so, or I might go for a walk. But I'm worse than that. And so, man on his own revels in the yeah. fact that, for once, yeah. he doesn't have to the tell anybody what he's doing, what he's doing, because he doesn't know. 
Just yes. Oh, that's good. You're ne- Mark's yeah. not committing himself to any of those yeah. activities in case they disappoint yeah. him. He's doing the very male thing, which is do 50 things simultaneously. Because you won't be let down by any of them. Because what? you won't have invested any... No expectation. No, no, no expectation. Yeah. But also, I'm worse than that. I think we have a terrible... Our kids tell us we have a terrible habit of commentating to each other all the time on what we are actually physically doing, which is never interesting. So Claire will go, just off to the kitchen. Well done. Good work. Sarcastic applause. Good luck. Lounging. We always know what the boys are doing. Lying on the sofa. You're just changing the TV controls with their toes. <laughs> just, just off for the paper. <laughs> you see, I don't, I, don't know whether, I don't know whether your wife would find this comforting or not. You know, that she probably, you know, in her darkest moments, she probably thinks when she's away that you invite me and Barry round, you know, and we smoke cigars and play poker. And then, and then a stripper comes along. If I'm most like Walter Matthau or Jack <laughs> Lemon or something exactly. in the odd couple. Well, it's actually you're playing the guitar and, and the <laughs> watching the Sopranos and he's telling about. <laughs> I've gone back to be a student. That's the bloke's thing. Anyway, know. while you're doing that, Barry went out this week. Didn't I went out. I went to. Well, I went out with a lot of blokes <laughs> yeah, who signed very similar to that to see magazine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 70s Mike went to the office. Yeah. Which was it was an extraordinary. It was at the HMV Forum, as it's now known, the old town and country club in Kentish Town. Absolutely round, packed to the rafters. Not a single girl. Not a single girl, and not a single male under the age of, I would say, 35 years old. <laughs> That's their constituency. It's like, it's like the new indoor bowls. It's like, I'm just going to pop out now, see a few old mates, back yeah. around half 11. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been? Off to see Hard to Vote. Oh. Yeah. It was fantastic. They were great. Didn't he do some extraordinary thing in the middle where he, he, he a risky enterprise, where he sort of pulled out a lectern and read a story or something? He did, and also I'd interviewed Hard to Hodo for this magazine, yeah, yeah. so I, I was aware that Hard to Hodo now looks like essentially any other 56-year-old bloke, whereas, yeah. of course, most people, the last time they saw him was 30 years ago with incredible angular cheekbones, yeah. uh, and he appeared, and there was a slight... slight oh, really? Of, Is that oh, more of a well, he just looks, he just looks like a man in his mid-50s, yeah. mid wearing a very strange sort of pair of cut-off trousers <laughs> and a pair of boating shoes. But Barry Adamson looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Barry Adamson, a huge, player, huge big yeah. top hat yeah. on. Um, and obviously the original lineup, apart from John McGeoch. Who can no longer be with us? Was it, was it a bit like, it's quite interesting that bit about do you recognise him or not? Was it a bit like, I don't know if you find this occasionally, you're walking down the street or whatever, you see somebody coming towards you and they're kind of smiling at you as if they recognise you or something and you're looking at them and you're thinking, I don't know that shape, I don't know that person at all. And then as you look closer, Buried yeah. inside, somewhere deep within yeah. this yeah. ship. <laughs> somebody, somebody <laughs> thought one you, you sort of have to work back your layers of memory. <laughs> oh God, yeah, there's yeah. a twenty-five-year-old bloke right. inside yeah, that. Yeah. Well, it was like somewhere, one. <laughs> somewhere deep, somewhere deep within was hard to vote on. <laughs> That's so funny. But they were terrific. But it was, it was, it was like going out with the tribe. The fir- uh, within three minutes, I had bumped into Gavin Martin and Steve LeBac. Oh, Say no more. Say no and more. I'm wearing a pair of Doc Martens. That's extraordinary. You without them. It's extraordinary. That's so, so uh, moving on to another, seamlessly moving on to another topic. <laughs> was it? Did you find it loud? Um, it was loud, but it was. I mean, it wasn't as quiet as Leonard Cohen, but it wasn't as loud as some concerts I've been to. Right. It, it was. It was acceptable. Right, because I was, I've gone into print with this issue of Word. I know. Um, saying, basically, that it's about time to start turning it down. Yeah. But because it's just gotten ridiculous, hasn't it? 
Well, also, and I think you make this point, a lot of the people involved, live musicians, people in the industry, have now got actual severe problems, haven't they? Tin- uh, Tinnitus. That's the word I'm uh, well, we, We've got, see, you know, we, we've, uh, there's somebody posted <laughs> about it on the, on the, on the site, wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs> and many readers are confessing to having this, uh, this whistling in their ear. Do you have it? I have not got it yet, but I mean, I love it. You can't hear it. Who is it? David and Barry. Oh, good. Oh, nice to see you. <laughs> you <laughs> so must have it. You've got a gigs with James Mason. No, uh, uh, I probably must have it a bit, but, uh, you know, it, it is a problem. People are Pete Townsend. Do you remember you used to have to play with Perspex? Baffled screens either side of him. I mean, that's grim, isn't it? You see, the old Andy Partridge, a little known fact, his engineer, played back some feedback, something fed back through his earphones about a year ago. Still not fully recovered. That's pretty good. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, there's, people, there's people volunteering stuff on the, um, on the website. Uh, somebody, a kid presentable, went to a magic number kid show. presentable? Yeah, with the cis screen. That was really This is presentable. Um, that a great sense of humor, you? He Go said, on. I'd seen them a few times, and they were never overly loud. But this night, as this night went on, it got louder and louder until one point people had their hands over their ears. It became pain, you know, painfully overloud. And the Felt the ringing when he arrived home and, uh, and uh, was essentially deaf on one side the following day. I saw a doctor who said the eardrum was just swollen and would recover, which he did within a couple of days. But then, it's really interesting. People like, you sort of expect it. You're going to see Black Sabbath or whatever. It's going to be noisy. But here's the weird thing. It's people like the magic numbers and blur that we've discussed oh, yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. You, with whom you do not associate. You know, and isn't legislation potentially going to be introduced? Well, we do, yeah, we've been talking about this and it's written about it in, the, in the current issue that there's... Apparently this is already involved. I was talking to our mate Brent Hansen the other, the other day who was about to go and DJ at the, the Boogaloo in Archway Road, yeah. which is a kind of a music Is that got a volume limiter? It does, <laughs> apparently, yeah. My it, local pub And it, it cuts out, yeah. you know, so you get beyond a certain level and it's pretty much like they used to have in... Well, they probably yeah. still do have in BBC Studios that... Uh, Supposedly to protect the the hearing of the of the camera operators and so yeah. forth, uh, and that's why famously you know Stone Roses on Late Show and so forth. That's why it cuts out. But when I'm listening now to the box sets that we're talking about, I find I have to have it on really loud. So I, I do think somewhere I've probably got some kind of a problem because I, I got that faint whistle whenever you're listening. Do you think it's also to do with the way the sound is kind of presented? Because uh, Simon L, who was writing about this, he says it affects what he listens to now. He listens to a lot of soul and reggae because there's a lot of bottom, and most of the detail is top. There's not much going on in the middle. And he reckons possibly. that what you lose is the middle yeah, of your hearing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm, you know uh, I, I think I've found that from listening to you know, Walkmans, if that's the plural of Walkman, um, Walkman Eye. Walkman Eye. <laughs> uh, you know, the, those had those kind of little headphones that fit with sort of foam bits that fitted on the side of your head, and you couldn't really hear very much. And I suppose, A, you're deafened by the fact you've had this music drilled into your ears for years, but also now, the, my latest thing is one of those kind of things with rubber grommets that you can screw you right got inside yes, your all head. Away. And they are really fantastic because they, they cut out the, the outside noise and straight on. And the people next to you on the tube don't have to hear the oh crap you're listening to. But the trouble is, it must be worse in a way, in that you are literally piping this stuff directly be. inside you. And I've now got to the point where unless I wear those things, I can't really hear all the definition, exactly what you're talking about. I so, think it won't yeah. be long before we'll see films of, uh, you know, of this era and we'll see people wearing headphones and it'll be like seeing people smoking on Mad Men. Mm. You know what I mean? It'll look... Oh, Mad Men. It'll look hot, you know. Oh, yes, the thing I've learned this week... Uh, includes Mad Men, actually. Uh, Victoria Beckham has been unveiling her latest collection of yep. uh, uh, fashion... Porsche New- 2.0. New York Fashion Week, where she... 
there was there was a catwalk, catwalk show, and she was doing the commentary, doing the voiceover, and uh, and she said, and this particular outfit is very Mad Max, and her PR had to interrupt and said, I think you mean Mad Men. <laughs> Obviously, not seen either. Mad Max Two. Why yeah. is she? Why is she posh? Two point zero. I mean, I didn't, she, it's her second collection. Oh, I see. It's her I second collection. No, she did, well, she's reinvented herself oh, as, as a reasonably like a well-received clothes designer, and has got her second major collection in the New York shows uh, as uh, we speak. How are you Keep so, up, Mark. Yeah, you're really up to speed. It's <laughs> <That is> amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just incredibly impressed. The word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So uh, the other thing we've been talking about this week, the great TV appearance this week, was Whacking Phoenixes. Oh, my God. Um, appearance on the David Letterman That was show. going to be the thing I learned, actually, which is that Letterman is still the undisputed king. Letterman, Barry, I think Letterman is the greatest person who ever sat in front of a TV camera. Well, can, can you explain to the people who didn't see it just briefly what happened? It's just riveting. Whacking Phoenix goes on the Letterman show um, and looks... As Letterman uh, refers to it once, he's like, like the Una Bomber. He has this sort of incredibly long hair, massive beard. Unwashed. Bonnie yeah. Prince Billy yeah. with yeah, big old, shades. Big old beard yeah. and shades. And a kind of, you know, Looks shot. like he might have slept rough. Looks like he's been sleeping in a box he's, for about a week. He's nursing a little sort of cup of coffee or something. Chewing gum. The chewing gum. Uh, in fact, at one stage, Letterman says, tell you what, I'll come to your house and chew gum. Which is the only point at which it seems to get through, and he sort of takes the gum out of his mouth and sticks puts it underneath. Sticks it underneath the desk, and it just is not really at the match. In fact, Letterman finishes off by saying, uh, "Sorry, you couldn't be with us tonight." Whacking, brilliant. Um, the thrust of it appears to be Whacking Phoenix is retiring, is becoming a hip hop artist, oh, mo- joy. Mo- moving, moving into rap, but just can't really communicate. And after about ninety seconds, Letterman realizes something's you know something's not quite right here. Uh, but just handles it superbly. He it's never on YouTube, isn't it? Because it's a huge. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. So anybody listening, the clips on the site. You really, you yeah, must yeah. see it because what struck me as extraordinary about it, and there's another dimension which we'll get onto in a moment, is that when they first start, you've got that sort of um, struggle going on for supremacy on a chat show, which is that the anchor feels that he's in charge, or she, that she's in charge, and the guest uh, is the big star, it, it, you know, and everyone's going to be in awe of them. And so both of them believe that they've kind of got the audience going with us, it, 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 with, with them, rather. Mm. So, so Wackim is sitting there going, look, I'm an artist, I'm a creative guy, you know, this guy's you know, giving me a tough time, he's pressurising me, you know, I'm too fabulous and fragile for this world, and he thinks that the audience are kind of backing him. And Letterman's looking around going... <laughs> It's a complete it. my show and is ruining the entire atmosphere. There were moments where I thought maybe Joaquin Phoenix knew what was going on well, and it was all is, hugely is, affected. Is, and other moments where he just looked stoned. Yeah, there's, there's a whole page in the, in the, in the Observer, actually, uh, this weekend, looking at this new controversy or theory about it, which is that this is actually a sort of performance art piece by him. He's... Um, it's he's a pretty going, good act. He's going on, he's d- developing a documentary. We know he is making a documentary of his life. He's being filmed all the time. There was somebody in the Letterman audience filming him. So this could be raw material for some kind of terribly kind of... Uh, but why would you behave stuff. like that? Well, I have absolutely no idea, because, you know, the longer he does it, the, the more profoundly damaging it will be on his But on the his, brilliant uh, thing about Letterman on the, in that instance is he handles it well, but I'm sure there are many people who would have handled it well, but he never for a second looks phased. No, no, no. It's extraordinary. You do not see, you know, he is completely, it's his domain. Because we've all yeah. done interviews where, where you do a question, you know, so, so, was, so was it interesting working with such and such, uh, to which the answer is, yeah. 
And you do eventually start to flounder a bit because you think, oh, oh my God. Oh, I'm running out of questions and this guy's just going to say yes or no, whereas Letterman just goes with it and just sits there but, I mean, that's and does that sort of look to the audience. Television. We, we, had a, we had a long conversation about this in the office uh, after Morrissey was on the um, Radcliffe McConey show. It was an absolutely extraordinary mm. exchange. And the general gist of the stuff that was written on the blog, somebody made the point, which is quite right, which is that if you are the interviewer on radio, you are terrified of the idea of dead air. So it's very hard. Yeah, it's even worse on radio or TV. Yeah, because if you if you're Van Morrison and I'm interviewing you and I ask you a difficult question, how long can I bear that silence to last? (laughs) With Van, you've got to be (laughs) be ready for a long wait. (laughs) Howling. And uh, whereas on television, of course, you know, there is information, which is that you can see the facial expressions of these people, you can see the way they're playing each other, and you know, it, there's no dead air, no there's complete dead air. There's one brilliant bit where it just the camera sits on Letterman for about 15, 20 seconds, and he's just doing that sort yeah. of knowing look of, yeah. well, we all know what's going on here. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's it really worth seeing. If you haven't seen it, anybody who hasn't seen it, they should have a look. I think the clip may be on the word website. Oh, it is, yeah, it's all over the place. So, now, I think you introduced the subject of Van Morrison in that. Uh... Surely not. <laughs> <laughs> he's rarely far, far from our thoughts, really, particularly yeah. when Barry's here. And he's got the 40th anniversary of Astral Weeks live from the Hollywood Bowl on sale as we speak, with a new set of teeth. Can we talk about the new teeth? Can we talk about the teeth? (laughs) He's got new teeth, has he? New bridge work. The the ad, um, the press ad for the album, Van A is smiling in it. In the picture. Ah, it's a, it's which, a pretty thin smile. It's a thin it's smile, dangerous. but it appears, it really is. appears to have a new set of Nashers. And, hey, yeah. I, I can't yeah. work out if it's just because he's smiling, we've never seen them before, but they do look spar- sparkling brand new. Set of teeth. They look good and, and they look expensive because um, the cheaper version of the rock star's new bridge work tends to look like it's just one huge strip of teeth just, <laughs> just peeled across. You know, David Bowie's the, the David best Bowie? example. You ever look at Just Google a picture of David Bowie in, in the in any time before whatever it was, the 90s. Noel Gallagher? His teeth look like he could eat, eat an apple through a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place. <laughs> Looks like he stopped an express train. You see, these, these are both guys, these are both guys born in the 1940s, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, 45, yeah. Uh, you know, so in the era, well, they, they, a number of things, they, people didn't go to the dentist very often, yeah? When you yeah. did, it was quite painful. Yeah, right, you know, so people avoided it, whereas my children go quite happily yeah. to the dentist. Um, and the other thing was, you cannot imagine what a huge social phenomenon it was. It's only, I know there's a reading about it recently, when sweets came off the ration. In, you know, they were one of the first things to come off the ration in whatever, 1951 or something like that. And the parents who'd gone through the privations of the war and the, and the, the shortages and so forth desperately tried to over demonstrate their love for their children. Hence the taste of the full of Filling them full of sugar. Yeah. You know, they, they, they didn't discourage children from eating sweets at all. So if you well, brought them at that time, you would have had also, every possible. My recollection, I think I'm old enough to remember the time when you could go to the dentist and, uh, and if you didn't cry or anything, like you were given sweets on the yeah. way out. So My recollection of Belfast dentistry was it wasn't exactly state of the art. <laughs> <laughs> Just put a big boot against you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take that. So I imagine Van may have been subject to that. But Didn't they ever give you at the age of seven? I can remember going and saying, they said, do you want cocaine? At a dentist. Hello. Really? Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, they did. They called it cocaine. And, That's and numb the teeth. It was, it was a, an injection in, into your gum with, of cocaine. Yeah. That's amazing. They would, yeah, that's the first time no, I heard the expression cocaine. Crack <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> them out. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I remember I chipping away. <laughs> My dentist was Keith uh, Richards is your dentist. <laughs> our family dentist Ronnie was Wood. a former army man, you know, who, who, who want, brought no kind of no tantrums. <laughs> and I can remember I was crying in the seat once. Do you know how he dealt with it? This is no word of a lie. Go on. He thumped me on the arm. <laughs> Good man. With his no. fist. No. Yes. Not. Appallingly hard, but kind of shocked. He'd be up before a tribunal. Well, you health and safety. <laughs> yeah, your parents would have sued him. <laughs> Uphill and down Dale. Oh, well. God, that's fantastic. So, um, I watched The Day of the Jekyll the other day. Great film. Which is a wonderful, wonderful I love film. Have you film. seen it recently? <laughs> No, I suspect it may not have dated <laughs> that no, well. No, it's really quite gripping, still. Is it Edward, Edward Fox? Edward, Edward Fox. Fox. He, he, dresses, he shoots the president with well, a... Well, so here's... here's, here's I remember see, that. Death of Jekyll, 1973, I think, I'm right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the first kind of terrorist film. Yeah. Euro thriller. Yeah, yeah the, the first idea that a man is out there who's going to do something terrible. In yes. his case, in his case, shoot... Charles de Gaulle, Gaulle yeah. that's right. Who'd been the who'd been the you know the target of many assassination attempts during the fifties and nineteen sixties in France, and Edward Fox played the hired assassin, and it's just it's so anachronistic, it's extraordinary. He wears a cravat all wears the way a cravat. through, yeah, absolutely all the way through. Drives a lovely car. I remember going he through. Drives, he drives, he drives like I think it's something like an S-type yeah. Jag to go into the um, to somewhere like Ventimiglia, isn't it, on the Italian border? Yes, to put a watermelon in the wood, yeah. put an X on its on <laughs> yeah. forehead, and then fine-tune his telescopic sight. <laughs> I remember as a small boy, I thought it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen in my life. It is still. Extraordinary gripping. He gets a man to make a special gun for him that is light enough for him to be able to conceal it in a wooden leg. His crutch. So he can pretend to be a war veteran, you know, and get past the security. And he goes to, you know, a, a specialist in making a gunsmith who is prepared to do That's something right. so underhand. Who's also a bit of a gentleman. And the guy, the guy goes, oh, very clever, I see. Well, I shall have to charge you. A thousand pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's obviously kind of inflation, you know. So. No phones either, presumably. There's no phones. You see, that's the other thing. The, the mobile phone has completely changed the thriller. You know, so when he's ringing up his OAS controller, you know, uh, when, when the whole of France is after him, how does he get through to him? He goes through the operator. Yeah, the switchboard. Right. Can you give me <laughs> Castle Evil? You know. It's, 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 two, four, nine. It's absolutely... It's a good film. I do recommend that you, you, you watch it. You know. yeah. Freddy Forsyth, wasn't it? Frederick Forsyth, the original book. But it's, it's, it does hold up in a really odd way, but, uh, but at the same time looks, uh, looks really anachronistic. I started watching The Graduate last night as well. Which well, that's a great you. film. It's sure, a great it's film, but part, part of the fact that you notice that Dustin Hoffman is in his 30s. Yeah, and he's playing, playing a 17, 18. Well, no, he's 21. Oh, he's 29, the actor, isn't he? And, and Anne Bancroft is 35 in real life. So oh, is that all she was? She's 20, he's 29, she's 35. So she's yeah, supposed to be playing the older woman, and she looks, you know, yeah, not so quite the older woman. Six years between them, which is astonishing. Yeah, yeah. I remember Dustin Hoffman came to the Empire Awards a few years ago. he did. Pictured with Johnny Vegas, and the headline was Dust Ben Hoffman. Presumably because of the state of Johnny Vegas. It must have been Next drilled. <laughs> so the Oscars are coming up soon, aren't they? Oscars are Sunday. Oh, Sun is it this Sunday, Sunday night? I'm going to ask you a controversial question here. Who cares? Well, I, 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 I care, about, care. I, I care about the event and the Wins frocks it. and the speeches and somebody making an art a fool of themselves. That's what I care about. I don't really care who wins. Because also, what you know nowadays is... 
is the prizes will be shared between like three films. That's what yeah. always happens, isn't it? Yeah, it's Slumdog be, Millionaire will win so and so. You know, whatever it's called, the reader will win so and so. Don't. I think uh, Meryl Streep or Philip Seymour Hoffman might, might get best actor, best actress for that. Winslet will get at least one. Still, I'm not bothered, am I? I don't, really, I don't really care. I can't remember each year who wins. What do you remember? Or, or, the, or the weeping? Catastrophe. The extraordinary. Oh, I don't remember catastrophes. You remember you people want, making fools themselves. Yeah. So, Mark, what have you learned this week? Well, I, I watched uh, all uh, three of those um, Folk America documentaries. Yeah. If you hadn't, anyone listening hasn't seen them, God, they were just wonderful. I'm sure they'll be out on DVD soon. But my neighbour put all three on a, on a disc. I watched them all in one go. Oh, lovely. Yeah, while well, you know, drinking tea and eating a curry and uh, smoking, playing guitar. <laughs> And uh, what, what fascinated me was, obviously, the, the main protagonists of this story, the, the early ones, like Blind Lemon Jefferson and, and Jimmy Rogers, clearly these guys are, and, and, and you love that name, aren't you, Matt? I love that name. Blind Lemon Jefferson. Is that what yeah, it's it is? fantastic. It's a good old blues It's name. a proper, proper yeah, name. Proper name. And, uh, you know, Robert Johnson. These guys are around. So what they've interviewed, they, they interview these guys who've, who are the last people to really have, to have known them, to have met them. I mean, Honey Boy Edwards, for example, I think, is the last person who played with Jefferson, I think it was. Uh, was it Johnson? Can't remember. But anyway, these guys are now making a living as being the last musicians yeah, yeah, who ever yeah. actually recorded or performed with them. And I kind of I love that idea really. That, that that's the last link. The last link you've got. I mean, it, on a much much smaller scale. I think it's starting to happen with my own generation. When I was at the Cornbury Festival last year with my old pal Johnny Felton. We were up in this tent afterwards, and there's a load of people a bit younger than us, so we're all having a drink with them. And I got to get some more drinks. And they come back, and it's an annoying sight, really. It's a load of people sort of surrounding Johnny with just looks of shiny-faced admiration and awe. Uh, possibly even lust, Dave, for, for some of the girls. <laughs> and I said, what's going on? And he's telling them about how he saw uh, the Jimi Hendrix experience and the doors on the same bill at the Isle of Wight Festival. And, of course, by definition, you know... There's only a certain number of people who can see those groups in their full is it, lineups. Is, it, is this the modern the, equivalent of having survived the Somme? It yes. is exactly yeah. that. It's You're like, a war hero. It's like the last old war contemptible. And these guys, of course, are the you same went to shore at D-Day. Yeah, there's the lovely old uh, banjo <laughs> yeah. player who played with Jimmy Rogers, who's now 105. He's only got about one tooth. Still gets irregularly. Still, yeah. <laughs> 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 I think so. Got a bit twinkle in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that idea that, uh, you know, I know, with, the, with, the, with the passing of time. Now, you'll be able to say this, Dave. You'll be able to tell me you saw the great Chuck Berry. You know, oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. First well, gig. Or in your case, first Ted Miller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John Sellers. <laughs> there we are. While we're talking about a kind of antiquarian interest in music, I'm going to take advantage of this podcast and the, and the fact that Fraser's is here as well to, to, to let everybody know that Fraser lent Mark his copy of Desperate Man Blues, the, the, the wonderful documentary about Joe Bussard, the, the original record collector. And A, you haven't watched it, even though I've nagged you for six you months to watch it. I think I've mislaid it, actually. And, uh, yeah. The other thing, you haven't given it back to Fraser. So what I think you should do is now you're so embarrassed, you should asked, go home. I'm being asked to publicly apologise. You should go yeah. home. No, what we want you to do is this. We so want you to watch it. it. We want you to find it and watch it, because will. you will love it. Oh, I know. Well, I love it. It, it is the best one-off odd little music documentary I've ever seen. I watched it again uh, last week. You're just going to carve a little bit of time out. Hey, Mark, I've honestly. Got to, no, I think I've lost it. This is better than Folk America. Seriously. That can't be oh, it is. That's ridiculous. This is about a madman who collects 78s and, uh, you know, believes... He's right up my street. Yeah, um, I like it. I believes that it. jazz finished in 1936 and, you know, it's wonderful. 
Anyway, so we've done I apologise, President. Have you learnt anything this week, Barry? I've been learning a bit about the People's Republic of Hackney. Oh, with North, the Ian In North Ian. London, I've been reading the Ian Sinclair book. Which uh, has been read on the radio, Radio 4. Yeah, moment. which is the Radio 4 book of the week. Yeah, yeah. Hackney, that rose-red empire. Which is fantastic. I love Ian Sinclair stuff. It's just essentially him walking around Hackney as he does. Psychogeography. Psychogeography and writing about it. And he lives just down the road from me and was meant to be doing a reading at our local library. Uh, and then the council, council intervened and banned him from doing it because he's anti-Olympics, allegedly, which, of course, he probably, I'm sure he is. Yeah. It actually banned. But this banned. is what happens in the people's republic. If you're anti-Olympics, how do you express that sentence? Well, he's written quite a few pieces about it, saying, you know, it's, it's all a pie in the sky. He's going to be out there in 2012 tying people's shoelaces together. Knowing him, he may well be. Actually. So I thought Hackney prided itself on always being a cradle of dissent. Well, yeah. But not but, when uh, it applies to dissent against Hackney Council. Uh, apparently not. It came all the way from the top of the council. He wasn't allowed to enter our local library. I I love the idea that this man invented psychogeography because basically all he did was legitimise the ancient male pursuit of wandering around and it's, thinking. It's fantastic. He, um, <laughs> That's what he does, isn't it? <laughs> and he, lives, he, lives, he still lives in Hackney and of course um, I was reading a piece about him a couple of weeks ago, bought his house in about 1964 or something which he still lives in for £2,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. assumed to be worth nearly as much as that. <laughs> yeah. Has the credit crunch hit Hackney, do you think? Because I, 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 tell you, I don't think it's hit Chiswick where I live. I got out of my house this morning and I, I, I turned right, three doors down, there's a van parked and written in annoyingly kind of kindergarten type on the side, painted on it, is Waggy Tails, Doggy Daycare. <laughs> I thought, Christ, it must be expensive enough to have a dog anyway, but the idea that you well, have to pay somebody are we, to, come, uh, to come and walk my dog, my, do, my dog is being walked as we speak. Oh, you've got a dog? Oh, got a dog. no. Yeah, oh, di- diamond dogs of Stoke Newington. Oh, no. Do you have to pay somebody to walk dogs. Diamond dogs. That's much cooler yeah, than talking about. Yeah, to walk. That's brilliant. Now, I understand it's got a picture of Ziggy on the side of the van. <laughs> I didn't read this myself, but I understand oh, from looking at the time. <laughs> <laughs> or an Alsatian The damn Finished The Charles Corrin's most recent column in the Times Was suggesting that all the dogs in Britain should be killed you know, so so I know you sometimes you wonder, you worry when people you worry when people write columns in in Word. You say, "Oh, it's a bit controversial." That's when, like, that's that's controversial. <laughs> Just to say to newspaper readers, on know. the basis of what their their toilet. Well, habits. I think the most recent incident, the you know, terrible incident with the baby, was oh, you know, right. killed. It seems a bit extreme to go from that. All, all dogs must be killed. What's going to have the doggy daycare? What's going to have a diamond dog? Don't, don't, don't start again. <laughs> don't. Okay. Don't. Okay. All right, the poor crew. That's all we've got time for. Barry's off to, you're off for lunch with Alan Wicker. I'm off for lunch with Alan Wicker. So tell us that one fabulous fact that you just told me earlier about Alan Wicker. He, at the height of his pomp, he was filming in New Zealand. Um, and there were, he was listening to local radio, Christchurch Radio, whatever, having some downtime in his hotel room. And there happened to be an Alan Wicker sound-alike competition taking place in the radio, uh, to which Wicker entered uh, and came third. Came third. <laughs> so I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him about that. And uh, I think he's about 84 years old now. New series coming up. Well, where he revisits his old haunts. So I'm off to see uh, Sir Sir Alan Wicker, as we call Sir him. Sir Alan Wicker. Very good war, Alan Wicker. I think. Absolutely. I think, ask him about Italy. 
Yes, I, I, he, I he liberated Italy. Single hand. Alan Wicker on his own. He had yeah. a good war, did he? Good war, very good war. Oh, the noise, the people. <laughs> <laughs> Is that David Bowie again? This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.